listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And right now we've got one of our favorite, well, one of our favorite uh, commentator going by listener feedback. And that's our gardening guru, Wally Richards. Good morning, Wally. Ah, good morning. And how's everything down in your bitter cold south? Well, it's cold. And I have been up in the snow and ice taking the kids skiing. I can't ski, but I take the little kids up. And uh, it's a bit short of snow, but, oh, man, it snowed yesterday up there. And I had such a lot of fun just watching it and driving up and driving down with the chains on and watching people have total fun. I can't ski. But, boy, people that ski have such a lot of fun. Uh, I think it's a tremendous sport. And not easy to do by the look of it. Um, I'm not game to even try now. No. Um, I'm sure I'd hurt my leg, but it's it's been great. But before the ski season started, I had this old bit of ground and I dug my manure in and I've got it all ready and some of it trenched up, ready for my potatoes. So that's my next thing is going to be, I've got my potatoes uh, uh, growing their sprouts, hopefully. I got them from the supermarket, so hopefully they'll grow their sprouts. That's what I've been doing on my garden. But I have something to report, Wally. Yeah. I thought your product, Magic BL, what is it, Magic Botanical Botanical liquid. Liquid? I thought, well, it'll probably make a difference. But I didn't know about that as old Wally, you know, talking it up, magic, and all the rest of it. And I put an order in, and you're a bit naughty because you haven't yet charged me for that. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I am blown away by magical botanical liquid. I had these tussocks that I'd transplanted. And they were looking very droopy. And I got my little girl to go over and spray with a wee hand sprayer, and she sprayed these tussocks. I kid you not, within two days, they are sitting up like it's spring. Right, great. Now, on my little lettuces that I got going, I got a, I built a wee mini glass house, and I got lettuces growing in there. And I got some little lettuces growing in my tunnel house. And so I thought I'd be scientific. And I put the MBL on half of them. And I haven't yet detected a difference. But I put some on some old beech trees that I'd planted, like I planted in uh, tubs, 450 beech trees, mountain beech trees. And four of them were looking a bit sad. And I thought, oh, well, nothing to nothing to lose. I'll spray those four that are looking a bit sad with MBL. Man, did they pick up? Well, I actually thought they were dead. Okay. They had a bit of green round under the rabbit cover, and I sprayed that magic botanic liquid down there. It is magic. It is, yeah, yeah. Actually, there's a funny story with it. Originally, when we first um, decided we'd um, promote it and retail it and sell it and so forth, we called it uh, Magic Black Liquid. Okay. Now, it was black. It's a liquid and it's magic, right? Yeah. Well, the letters I got from Australia um, lawyers saying, you can't do that. Gates have got magic Black Black Magic, uh, what's name? Um, oh. As a trade name, oh. and so um, I, I was severely slapped over the wrist and said. And was it the same same thing? No, 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 no. Then Black Magic, of course, uh, originally was their seed raising mix, mm. right? Which was a peat moss based mix. It was okay. It was good, um, but they had the trade name uh, Black Magic, right? Mm. And unbeknownst to me, they were in the process of bringing out a black magic liquid, mm. right? 
And, of course, me taking that name um, upset the apple cart, no end. So I said, right, okay, I'll change it. I'll make it magic botanic liquid. And that was okay? Oh, that's okay because, yeah. Now tell me, what does I, – I, I'm not kidding, Wally. Um, you're very kind to send me that bottle. And even if I paid for it, it's not that expensive. Uh, and you only, you, I'm only spraying on, I'm surprised how far a litre goes to spraying it on the leaves of plants. Right. And you only use, what is it, to spray on the plants, 10 mil. 10 mils per litre, yep. And I just, I did all the house plants and I went out there and did a bit. And every now and then I give them a spray. So um, I haven't got around my whole garden yet, but I thought it was amazing. How mm. does it do that? What is it? It's humate and fulvic acid. It comes um, from coal, right? Soft coal or yep. something. Yep. Um, actually, the manufacturer did tell me the source. I think it's the South Island source of coal that they use. I don't know exactly how they extract it, yeah. but um, – it's extracted out. And, of course, really, you're talking about coal, which derived from prehistoric forests of cycads yeah. and plants and stuff. When the world was mineral rich, it was literally mineral rich because plants and so forth, not only that, we had lots of CO2, which you're not allowed to have these <laughs> days. <laughs> there was volcanoes spewing out CO2 all over the place. Yeah, it was about 5,000 per parts per million, yeah. And plants love CO2. They in love fact, us. Um, in a nursery situation where you've got a glass house and so forth, um, quite a few growers actually have CO2 machines mm. generating CO2, pumping it into the uh, air of the glass house, which is making the plants grow, right? Well, the lack of CO2 is starving all the plants. It is, and this is a worry because, mm. like, if you take the dimming effect where the sun doesn't get through the um, the haze that's mm -hmm. generated by clouds or whatever, um then your plants, like in winter at the moment, short daylight hours, they don't grow much because they're not getting enough direct sunlight. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of summer, we found this year, same problem, too many cloudy skies, not enough nice blue skies. And, and the interesting thing, I wrote an article some time ago on, on this aspect, and on a cloudy day or a hazy day, it's actually hotter than it is on a blue sky day. Now, the reason being is that the UV is concentrated by zapping through all the particles in the sky, yes. whether it be rain drops or whatever, which then intensifies the UV and it mm. actually heats the planet up. Mm. So if you talk about this rubbish of CO2 global warming, well, it's we need the CO2, otherwise we don't have plants. If we don't have plants, we don't eat. And also plants are a large contributing factor to our oxygen because mm. they take the CO2 in yes. and push out oxygen, right? So you don't breathe either. Disaster. I had a dear scientist friend who was very up on all of this stuff, and I said, what do you think about this climate change stuff? This is 30 years ago. And he said, well, my big fear is that it's not true. <laughs> I said, yeah. how can you be scared it's not true? He said, well, I'd love there to be a lot more CO2 in the atmosphere. It'd be good for the plants. And I'd love the world to be two degrees warmer because the world would be richer, more prosperous, and would produce more. But he said, sadly, I don't think it's happening. <laughs> but we're supposed to be beside ourselves um, about this. But that's another story. That that They love scaring us, Wally. And the great thing about being a gardener like you and me, can I call myself a gardener yet? Oh, of course, yes. You, if you, you don't have to wait till your fingers turn green. No, and no, you don't have to important. wait till you get a, a letters after your name or a white coat. You and us gardeners, right. we learn to trust nature, don't we? 
And we also know we don't know as much as we think we do. And you see a beautiful plant grow from a seed and you see that rich soil that you can make and you see the worms and you know of the bugs. It is a a wonder to behold. And you you look at these experts trying to scare our pants off and you think, no, because funnily enough, you you scare my pants off and then you say, we need to follow your directions. Nah, not happening. Now, Wally, so that magic, so what is a magic botanic liquid? So I'm a convert. I, um, what does it do, do we know, to the plant? And also, how did you first learn of it? How did I first, what, sorry? How did you first learn of it? Oh, um, the manufacturers uh, of the product in New Plymouth, they contacted me. Um, I don't know how it came about, by accident or something, but anyway, they got hold of me and uh, told me about this product, and I said, yeah, okay, um, give us some. I'll try it out, see what I think, and which, like yourself, tried it out, found it was very, very good. And so I said, right, we will market it. And um, away it went from there. Um, The number of things it can do is actually on my Garden News website uh, under additional information on plants. And if you scroll down that, Magic Botanic Liquid, and there's a whole lot of things it does. it helps reduce common plant disease problems, uh, increases availability of chemical fertilisers and organic foods for plants, helps to release locked-up fertilisers from past applications, particularly uh, phosphates. Now, here's an interesting thing. When people um, use it either as a drench or a spray and it gets into the soil, in fact, I recommend to use as a drench initially because Quite often people have been putting food into the soil, but because of certain factors, they get locked up. Mm-hmm. And when they water some into the soil, it releases that, and then they ring me up a couple of weeks later and said, the garden's gone mad. It's like triffids because <laughs> suddenly the plants have got the food that's been sitting there they couldn't get. Um, it also uh, cleans up toxic compounds, chemicals, and oil spills in the soil. Um, helps establish plants in areas where they can't or struggle to establish, as you found out. Um, Quite often you plant a plant and it just sits there and mopes and doesn't do much. You apply some magic botanic liquid to it. It's kind of giving it a kick in the bum and away it goes. Stimulates growth of soil microorganisms, which is very important. Increases root uh, respiration and formation increases availability of micronutrients, can increase permeability of plant membranes, which will enhance nutrient uptake, increases vitamin content of plants, improves seed germination, accelerates root development, stimulates plant enzymes, and so it goes on. It's a whole lot of Oh, it is amazing. And next time I buy a lot, you're going to have to build me. And I'm gonna buy a big container because you just spray it. You can't overspray it, almost, could you? No. I, well, you can waste it. Waste it. Yeah. Um, my suggestion is, if you're keen, you make it up in a sprayer, like a trigger sprayer, and you spray the foliage to plants. It keeps. You don't have to discard it or use it all up. You can just put it down. Um, if you spray once a week, that's Really 20. good. What's that? Well, my beech trees are going to get it um, because those ones that were looking a bit sour, uh, they perked up. And uh, do you only sell stuff that you have used and figured out is good? By and large, but not necessarily so. Okay. Like, for instance, um, You've got specific products for different things, right? Um, And a number of the products that we actually have are really commercial products. They're not available to the home gardener. Yes. But 
importers or the manufacturers in New Zealand have contacted me because of my uh, connections in the garden world and retailers such as Mitre Tens, um, Odrin's Garden Centre and Independence, um, King's Plant Barn. Um, and so it gets the products out into the market. Now, it's very difficult uh, in the garden game of owning garden centres to get a garden centre owner to take a product on, right? Okay. I, I know I was a garden centre owner myself, and Mr Yates or somebody comes along and says, oh, we've got this brilliant product here, you know, and I look at it and I say, oh, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. and put it on the shelf. And two or three years later, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of it at a, at a fraction of the price to get some money back. It just mm. doesn't sell, right? Mm. Main problem is that people don't know about it and don't know the benefits of it, even if it was a good product, right? Mm. So garden centre owners are reluctant to take on board. Once a few years ago, I was publishing most papers in New Zealand on a weekly basis, right? When I wrote about a product back then, and it was something of interest to the gardeners, they would look at that and say, oh, magic botanic liquid, I, I must go and get some of that. So yes. they'd race down to the garden centre, Mitre 10 or whatever, and say, I want some magic botanic liquid. The people look at them like, what are you talking about? And they don't know, right? And so that they would go away and they'd contact me and get it directly. Eventually, after, say, about 20 people have come into your shop asking for a product and you haven't got it, you start to get concerned. Yes. Where's <laughs> right. that coming from? <laughs> yeah. So you think, i better find out where this comes from. So they make an effort, they find out, and they decide to stock it, right? But the problem, of course, can arise then that the people have gone elsewhere and got it. Yeah. And when and the guy's got it sitting on the shelf forever. They don't want it now. Yeah. It, 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 until it's well known, like neem oil or whatever. Mm. Um, I, I had a situation some years ago where I introduced an old product called lime sulfur. Now, lime sulfur is used on deciduous plants such as fruit trees, roses, in the wintertime when they're more or less bare of foliage and they're resting. And the idea of lime sulfur, it burns and it cleans up disease and insect pests that are on the plants, harbouring over, right? It's an old thing. Smells like uh, Rotorua. Yeah. And Sorry, everyone in Rotorua, but yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. Right. And so I wrote about this, and I had this garden centre from down your way ring me up, cursing me. <laughs> and I said, why? What's the problem? He said, I've had this lime sulphur from years ago sitting on my shelf. I wouldn't sell, right? Suddenly, people read your bloody article. They come in. They bought all my lime sulphur, and there's more people coming and asking for it. I've had to buy more in. <laughs> well, you're like the My Michael Jordan of uh, sneakers, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, like Michael Jordan says, wear these Nikes and you'll be like me. And Wally Richard says, you know, use this on your garden. And and away it goes off the shelf. Well, I've got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a convert to magic botanic liquids. I tend, I'm tending to be very careful because I go into just my little local Bunnings and there's so much stuff for this plant and that plant. And I worked out if you started to go down buying it for your garden, you'd be better off just to buy your veggies at the supermarket from a price point of view. And then I think to myself, I'm going to be a bit more discriminating because if I'm doing it right and getting good manure and keeping the soil healthy, then that should be my first port of call rather than rushing off and getting everything in, in these bags and willy-nilly throwing them around. So I've been I've been cautious um, on what I've thrown on now because I've done a bit of that, and um, I used that stuff to bash up the clay. Right, uh, gypsum. Gypsum. 
And then I did use, my wife had me before I spoke to you, putting some all-round fertilizer on, NPK stuff, that would be slow release. Right. But I've stopped, I've stopped doing that now because I've got my horse manure. Right. And I've got my, the only thing that I'm really doing apart from horse manure at the moment is magic botanic liquid. Right. Good. So um, I'm going to I'm going to go minimal and see how I go. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, one thing that I would suggest uh, with it, using horse manure in your veggie garden, growing brassicas and all the veggies except for potatoes and tomatoes, is some garden lime because you've got to get the pH of the soil okay. right. Okay. Sorry. So when you say except for potatoes, and tomatoes, and tomato, right? I don't put the lime on. Or I don't put the horse manure on. No, no, no. The lime. The lime. Um, okay, okay. Oh, fuel. If, if you lucky. give potatoes lime and make the soil alkaline, then you'll get potato scab, right? Okay. And you won't have a good crop well, because that's lucky. they like to be a little bit on the um, acid side, mm. not a lot. And our soil in New Zealand is naturally a bit on the acid side. Mm. If you're going to give them calcium, which is the main part of um, your uh, garden line, you would give potatoes your gypsum because yeah. that's calcium and sulphur, yeah, and that's ideal for them, and it gives them the calcium they want. And then with your tomatoes, you would give them dolomite, which is calcium and magnesium. Both of those are pH neutral, so they don't change the – um, pH of the soil, making it either acidic or alkaline. Let me get this right there, Wally. Gypsum for the potatoes? Gypsum for the potatoes. And for the tomatoes? Uh, dolomite. Dolomite. Oh, man. I am. If I get any vegetables off my crop because I plant, you know, I will be, it'll be a plus because I have so loved it. Do you know what I've particularly loved? I've particularly loved seeing that manure develop. So I got a tons of horse manure, and um, I mixed it up with a lot of barley straw and straw. And I can't believe how hot it got and how quickly it broke down. Mm -hmm. And now I shovel it up, and it's just the richest, beautiful, beautifulest soil. And I had. I started at the same time a little worm farm at home. Sort of the kids wanted a pet, and I said, you can have worms. Didn't really work. They still want a dog. But we had thousands of worms. And every now and then I I divide them in half and put them in my compost. That compost right. is alive. It yeah, is it would totally be. alive. And I mix it into the soil. And when I come along and just have a look at it, it is so beautiful. Mm. The soil is beautiful. It's rich, and there's worms in there. And I feel good just about that. Right. You know what I mean? And because you've got worms in there, now, see, worms like an alkaline um, conditions. They, okay. they don't like it acidic. They'll go away. So in your case, you don't need to worry about garden life. Okay. Because the worms are telling you, that it's okay. Now, here's a nice little trick to find out if you need some garden lime in your veggie garden or not, right? Now, you could buy one of those little cheap pH meters, which is a waste of time. They don't work of any consequence. They don't give you an accurate reading. In mm -hmm. fact, it's very difficult um, to get an accurate reading of pH. You need a very expensive, 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 get it right, expensive um, meter, which you have to calibrate with uh, pH um, solutions. And then immediately it's calibrated correctly, you take a reading, because even one degree of temperature change will change the reading, right? So what you do is you get some peas, and you put two rows of peas about 18 inches apart and about a couple of feet long, right? One, you give a nice dose of 
garden lime too, and the other you don't. Now, if the one that gets the garden lime is obviously better than the one that didn't get it, yep, you need some. Mm. Simple Isn't as that. Isn't that amazing? It's a, it's a wonderful hobby. Um, very, very therapeutic. It's uh, I'm missing my garden because I've been so busy with my kids and it's holiday time. And um, they're like me when I was a kid, not in, not, not all that interested. Um, but I just love pottering around in the garden now. And I maybe it's a sign of age. I don't know. Getting too old. But I do enjoy it. Now, Wally, uh, we've got to do some gardening stuff. But you put out a wonderful email and you told the story of long ago. Well, it wasn't that long ago in the great scheme of things, but what a different world it was in terms of what we ate, how we gardened, how we grew our most basic thing of food, how we sustained ourselves, and now it's different. Explain your observations from your, what is it, how many score in 10? Yep, right. Yep, there was. I had a um, friend, Henry Nom, um, when I was about 10, 12 years old from memory. What year would that have been, roughly? Uh, well, I was born in 45, so yeah, on 12, that makes it 57, mm-hmm. thereabouts. And his father was a Chinese market garden, and he had a big um, block of land just on the edge of Palmer's North which is now Palmer's North anyway. But back then it was um, a market garden. His wife was a Maori lady. And wow. I, I used to go there in the weekends and help um, harvest the cabbages or tomatoes and so forth for the market on Monday when they went off. And my reward back then was to have a meal at their house that evening. I had my tea there. One week it would be a beautiful, traditional Chinese food. The next week would be Mary Kai. <laughs> yeah, it was magic. It really and was. And even then, even then, you're 12 years old and it's 1957, you enjoyed Chinese food. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was delicious. Um, and and then the Mary Kai, that's very funny. Um, what a wonderful country we have that, Maori and Chinese could marry and get on with life. That's right. Yeah, and quite have a, kids. Quite, quite a number, I think, of Chinese uh, settlers here um, did um, marry Maori woman. Mm. Um, it was not John Kelman by any means. Now, here's the now tell me this thing. though: why why would you be working all day? Like, if you said to my kids, "If you work all day, I'll give you a Chinese takeout," they'd look at me and think. Well, I'm going to get dinner anyway. Like, hmm. like here you are, 12 years old, and you'd work all day for your own dinner. Yeah, yeah. You'd, well, you'd was, have got dinner at home, right? Oh, yes, of course. But, but it wouldn't uh, have been Chinese. No, it would have been uh, Kiwi fair. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Anyway, back then, um, and I subsequently learned further, that the only fertiliser that was used was basically blood and bone, right? There was no NPK fertilisers, et cetera. And back then, the freezing works and the works, the avatars and so forth, they produced a lot of really rich blood and bone. We don't see that today. What we're getting today is a far cry from it, in actual fact, because a lot of that that blood and bone um, now goes into dog biscuits and things like that, which they make more money from. But way back then, and the works would put it into what we call ton bags, you know, the big uh, yes. wool bales. Um, now, my half-brother, he told me this, that at a certain time of the year, and I think it was PGG Wrightsons or something, they got all these bales in of uh, blood and bone. And all the Chinese market gardeners in the area would come along with their wives and they would um, look at 
the what's name, and the wife's job was wet a finger, put it into the blood and bone, and taste it. Wow. And she would say yes or no to it. Now, I don't know what the difference would be, but they could taste. I would say, right, I'm taking that ton bag. My wife says, good, it's good. <laughs> okay. So that was basically what they used. They put that into the soil, and I would presume that they used any animal manures, horse manure, anything like that they had. Their soil was rich. You couldn't put a spade into the soil without cutting a few worms in half. That's wow. how good it was. And it's just like you find with your compost now yeah. with the worms. They just multiply tons of worms. If you've but, got worms, you're doing everything okay. Yes. It's a good indication in your garden if there's no worms of any consequence, you might find the odd one, but you should ideally put your spade in and find half a dozen worms. Got it. Okay. Simple as that, right? And in good soil, that's what you find. But one of the problems, of course, is people water their gardens with chlorinated water. Yes. Oh, my God. Worms hate that. So I've had people contact me and say, well, I've got worms in my compost bin, but I haven't got any in the garden. And even though I put them in the garden, they disappear. Of course, because of chlorinated water. So you've got to put a filter on, which we have, Onto the tap, remove the chlorine, and the worms are happy. So that's the first thing to do to have a good worm. And population. they dig your garden for you. Oh, they do. Um, because they go through the soil, aerating uh, it. They take up um, soil from down below and bring it up to the surface. You put your uh, horse manure into there, and they will go through the horse manure, taking it into their body and putting out worm casts at the other end, right? So you've got this beautiful uh, factory working for you yes. in the thousands. Or and hundreds. you can see it. Yeah. Um, the results are really, really good. Mm. So back then, vegetable plants were not forced to grow. In other words, your cabbage would grow at its own speed naturally in the soil, and it would be relatively free of any problems because it was a healthy cabbage, right? If you cut that cabbage off and took it home and cooked it, it would stink the kitchen out. Remember in I the old do days? remember that. I always just look back on it and blame my mother's cooking. Yeah. Different uh, cabbage. Cooking cabbage. They would stink you out of the house. Yeah. But you cook a cabbage today from the supermarket, you wouldn't even know you're cooking it. Right. No. Okay. When plants are allowed to grow at their own speed naturally, they do several things. First of all, they take up all the goodness available in the soil. And if you're using things like magic botanic liquid, of course, that's mineral rich. They're taking that all up. And they grow very healthy. Because if they get attacked by pests or diseases, they have their own little chemical factory, which they tend to um, offset the problems. In other words, like ourselves, we have an immune system. They mm -hmm. have an immune system. When they're attacked by a disease, they set the immune system into function and they overcome the disease, right? So they're healthy, right? They can look after themselves pretty well. They don't need chemical sprays. But if you do use chemical sprays on them, um, then they think, oh, this is nice. I don't have to do all that work making up my own protection because this guy's going to come along. And I'll just says, rely on Rodney coming along with yeah, a sprayer. With a sprayer. Um, <laughs> with his, um, Even though he's going to eat me later on. <laughs> concoctions. <laughs> so the difference today is, Market gardeners, which I feel really sorry for them because it, I, I don't know how they make any money of any consequence. Well, the key with their land is they've got to try and get as many crops in and out as possible. And if they can do two or three crops a year on the same piece of dirt, um, they've got two or three incomes coming in, yeah. right, from their returns. So. 
To make that happen, they have to force the plants to grow. And nitrogen fertilizers, urea, um, sulfate of ammonia, um, that sort of uh, stuff is used, potassium nitrate, that forces the plants to grow. Now, when a plant is forced to grow, it's not going to be healthy. It's uh, going to be sickly, in actual fact. And when a plant is sickly in nature, we have nature's cleaners come along to take it out. And that is all the pests and all the diseases that happen, mm. right? That's the idea of them. They're not there just to annoy us. They're there to clean up the weak plants to make way for the healthy plants, mm. right? So the commercial grower can't afford to have holes in the cabbage or anything like that or blemishes. So to prevent that, he has to use various chemicals sprayed to keep them looking perfect on the supermarket shelf, right? Now, it might be perfect looking, but it's actually got a lot of chemicals from all those sprays in it. It hasn't got a lot of nutritional value, and it doesn't smell when you cook it, and when you eat it, it doesn't taste anything. You've got to put garnishes on it to make it taste good. Mm. So if you're growing yourself naturally, using magic botanic liquid, your horse manure, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, and you harvest that plant, that cabbage, and you cook it and eat it, it tastes bloody nice. Right? It does. And, and It's like an organic egg or a free-range egg versus a battery egg, right? Mm. They taste completely different or a chop that's been... Uh, running around the countryside, or oh, venison, you know, wild wild venison versus, you know, something that's been Very caged. rich. Very rich. Yeah. And we don't even like it because we think, oh, that's a bit gamey. It's got too much flavour. Yeah, and yeah, true. The way we cook now, I notice, is everyone's piling on the herbs and the garnishes and the sauces. Whereas if you get a nice potato and a nice carrot, and some nice peas and a nice little bit of meat, it's as tasty as one thing. It is. And you don't eat much of it. No. That, that's well, the other key to it because the problem is. You're getting being, your nutrition. Yeah. Like people sit down to a meal uh, of meat and veggies from a supermarket, right? Now, it's lower nutritional value. We know that. So after they finish their meal, they feel hungry. Why? Mm. They, they ate a big meal. Mm. The body is actually saying to them, excuse me, where's all the goodies? Where's the vitamins? Where's the minerals? Mm. Where's the antioxidants? You know, where's those things I need for my health? So the only way that people interpret that feeling is they think they haven't eaten enough and they feel peckish, right? Mm. And so they get the bag of chippies out. And, dip, and ice cream. And, 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 <laughs> and, and <laughs> hence obesity. Now, think back 50, 60, 70 years ago. No fat people. No. There's, I remember at school, one boy, he was overweight, but he had a um, glandular thyroid problem or something. But everybody was lean and mean, as I thought. Well, it's amazing when you look at pictures from the 50s and 60s and you see people walking down Queen Street or Colombo Street or – um, just everyday people are going off to work and they're all slim. Mm. School kids are all slim. And like when I went to school in the 60s, if there was one fat kid in the school, he would be remarkable and probably teased a little bit by others. I could never tease a kid. But they would actually look normal going to school now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And another thing... Every kid looks fat now. Right. And another thing, too, back then, remember, we used to get a little bottle of milk. Yes. Every morning yes. Uh, at playtime or whatever it was. That was your was. morning tea. And, and look, out of a school of, what, three, four, five hundred people, kiddies, nobody had a problem drinking their milk. No. But the milk because tasted good. Because the milk was good. different. Tasted good. 
it tastes good, and there's none of this problem that you're going to um, have convulsions or something if you drink milk. As we see now, lots yes. of people or children. Oh, I'm lactose intolerant. Yeah, yeah. lactose intolerance. Now, and who who had ever heard of you know I'm gluten I'm gluten intolerant? That was never heard of. No. All this has come about. Well, we don't quite know. It's possibly the food has changed is a big thing. And um, they're living in a – the food has fundamentally changed. I'm a baker. I love baking bread. Right. And the process by which they make bread is truly, truly shocking. So they make bread. It was invented – started inventing, trying to work out how to make bread with less labor and quicker in the war. And they didn't solve the problem until the early 60s. And basically, it's applying chemicals and battering the bread and the dough. And what it means is that the wheat proteins aren't properly digested by the yeast and bacteria. Right. And what that means is um, the the proteins in the wheat that are designed to upset a mammalian gut are still present. And that's why people always feel heavy or a bit sick after eating bread. And the bread doesn't taste good. And then you get a properly made piece of bread and it's digestible to your body. My daughter, that's the reason I got making bread from a very young age, she couldn't take anything to do with gluten. She can eat sourdough bread till the cows come home. But if she eats commercial bread, she'll be sick. Right, yeah. Now, here's the point with it. Um, at one stage, of course, with the wheat in New Zealand, uh, when the crop was ready to harvest, it would be sprayed with Roundup mm-hmm. to decant it, mm-hmm. dry it out, make the mm-hmm. harvesting easier. Um, I believe that process has stopped now because the millers got the wind up with the um, Monsanto thing in California, millions and millions of dollars payout, that they uh, didn't want their flour to have um, I did not know that. Glyphosate uh, is the chemical. In. So they told the growers, you don't do that or we won't take your uh, wheat and millet. So that's as I'm led to believe what happened. Uh, it's made a big difference because prior to that, a lot of the flour uh, in circulation for bread, cakes, et cetera, et cetera, had a good dose of Roundup in it. And the other thing that we're picking up too, Wally, aren't we? Just casually, we're not scientists and we're not um, got a white coat on, and but we can observe things. We never had kids with the difficulties and mental health issues that they have now. True. And, uh, that is quite possibly something in the environment, something toxic or nutritionally deficient that is occurring in our food supply because it has changed so radically from what it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. Right, yes. And I've read um, studies where children suffering from attention deficits and all sorts of behaviour problems were taken and given really proper, good, organically, naturally grown food without all the chemicals and so forth, and within a few days, completely changed. Mm. became just normal like any child should be. Um, So the chemicals in the food chain, and let's face it, on TV the other day, they said diet drinks have got aspartame. Aspartame is now declared to be a possible carcinogenic. And we were talking about this 20 years ago that yeah. aspartame was. Now, aspartame, in actual fact, was a Monsanto product. And as I'm led to believe, the story goes that one of the scientists was making a new weed killer and he happened by accident put his fingers to his lips and went, oh, my God, that's sweet. <laughs> ah, aspartame. Here we go. <laughs> All our diet cokes and God knows what, uh, no sugar. And in actual fact, another study I read that people that um, 
had a lot of these artificial sweeteners, aspartame, they actually put on weight. They didn't lose it. No. And we've also lost the art of cooking, haven't we? True. Um, The story in your email had the lovely kicker that you haven't yet got to, and I think it was Mr. Nom, where he got his vegetables for his table from. Ah, yes, yes, yes. That was yeah, some that years was later. Ah, oh, yes, years later. Tell us years later, um, more like, I think it was about 10 years ago, uh, just outside of Palmerston North, a market gardener, Chinese gentleman, um, big market garden, once again growing all sorts of veggies, but his home, which was part of the land, was nicely fenced off around from the rest of the paddocks where all the veggies were. And I happened to be visiting one day and at the house, and I looked out, and he's got all these veggies growing on his side of the fence, the house side. And I looked at this, I said, you, you're growing veggies here, and you're growing veggies out there in the paddocks. He said, yes. I said, well, why? You just go out in the paddock, you pick cabbages and cauliflowers and all, all sorts of stuff. Acres and acres and acres. Yeah, acres of it. And he said, oh, no. He said, not good for family. I said, what do you mean? He said, the stuff out there is dangerous, not good for family health. Because he was growing it like you are, naturally, on his side of the fence for his family to eat, full of nutrition, good taste, good flavour, the whole bit. And stuff out there was for the market, for the people that uh, go to the supermarket. It's terrifying, Wally. It's a fact of life. And, And he knew the chemicals that he was using, forcing the growth and so forth, um, because the Chinese were, let's face it. Uh, oh, thousands of, and thousands and thousands of years of very clever. Of gardening, and, yeah. And lot, very intense gardening. Extremely. Uh, double cropping. Yeah. Um, the the food was all uh, human waste, yes. human manure and pig manure, basically, because most of them had pigs. I, I did it. I read a whole lot of stuff about them, and they had a kind of a brew thing where they brew up the stuff and um, apply it to the garden. Now, I'll tell you a funny story. (laughs) The chap told me one time, he he said, when I was a young fellow and um, I was courting my girlfriend, on Sundays I would go to be invited to their house for a meal. And so I'd take some veggies out of my father's garden right, and I'd take it to them and give it to them. And they were always impressed about these vegetables. And they said, look, they're big, they're beautiful veggies, they've got lovely flavour. What does your dad do? He said, I could never tell them because what dad used to do was every so often a septic tank, he'd bucket out the septic tank into the veggie garden cover it over with soil and plant veggies and <laughs> coming from the well, septic tank. It's funny you say that. I'd love listeners who are of a older nature to contact me about this because I have a distinct memory of being a little boy, and this would be early 1960s, very early 1960s, and, you know, you had the the tin in which you went to the toilet in outside. That's right. And I distinctly remember my uncle digging it into the garden, like literally digging Mm. a trench like we're talking about burying the cabbage, pouring the drum in and turning the soil over it. Now, childhood memories are funny because it might have been a nightmare or something. I don't know if that's true because I've understood since that you've got to be very careful mixing human waste with, you know, growing things. Could that have been possible, Wally, or do you think I imagined it? No, 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 definitely possible. The key to it, of course, is you don't put it on top of the soil and leave it there. Yes. Because only it's going to create bacteria and break down. You put it under the soil. 
Yeah. Now, anything going under the soil, including our bodies when we die, yeah, will convert it back to good food for plants. So, isn't that a great thing? Because I, I, I was thinking back on that and thought, I wonder if that was real. And they would have had chooks, they'd have poultry manure going in, and they all had big gardens. And then, and the, and you'd go outside. I can remember it being terrifying at night as a little boy going to the toilet and having a flashlight and the bit of the toilet newspaper, or if you're lucky, a toilet roll on the side of that wooden bench and spiders and God knows what in the outside toilet. The long <laughs> drop. <laughs> you had a little ecosystem that you had to contend with as a little boy going to the toilet. Um, my kids won't do that when we go camping now, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and the idea that that would be dug into the soil as sort of like a, you know, Chinese traditional gardening, and they never got sick. No, never. No, they were healthy because the food was healthy. It's the thought of it. I mean, to say the same thing you can say, like you could take horse manure, pig manure, cow manure, chook manure, and put that quite happily in your garden, yes. right? No problems at all. Now, how about dog manure? Yeah. Oh, no, you can't put dog manure into your garden. It comes from the dogs or cat manure, which people complain about cats when they put a lovely deposit of cat manure yeah. into their garden. Yeah. But dog manure, just like any other manure, is, yeah. is, is okay. The thought is, I think, that because dogs eat meat and, and cows eat grass, that the cow manure is okay because it's grass um, yeah. derivative derived from, but meat to the dogs and then dog manure. But I remember when I had several Sharpay dogs and they used to, I had a long driveway and shrubs on one side and they used to have their toilets along that side uh, underneath the um, pittosporums and it was mostly natives that I had there. And, and those things grew like you wouldn't believe from all this dog manure. <laughs> In fact, the owner of the place, because I was leasing it, he, he complained bitterly about the size of these great big triffid pittosporums and native plants, and and eventually he uh, he said, I'll pay to have them cut out, <laughs> and which he duly did. But mm -hmm. it, was, it was dog manure that did it. So the key thing, for your garden and your health and your children's health is good nutritious food, which means pretty much growing it yourself. I and do. if you're growing it yourself, the key to that is a healthy soil. Right. And the key to a healthy soil is not endlessly digging it, but like you say, getting some manure in it and letting the worms do the work, using a bit of paper, newspaper and cardboard. And you can quickly turn a very small part of a section or a little a section and you can start growing vegetables and improve your health out of sight. Oh, yes. Yep, for sure. I, I am feeling healthier, Wally. And you know how you don't know whether it's your mind or not, and it's a placebo, but I've talked myself into it. But I was feeling a bit down on nutritious greens, and I have literally a handful of those sprouts every day. Right. On my little sprouter. Yes. And it's quite a tasty wee snack. Sometimes I just have them raw. Sometimes I fry them up with a bit of salt and put them on the side of my plate. But those sprouts have been rather wonderful for me. I've enjoyed eating them, but I'm actually feeling um, I'm getting quite a bit of nutrition out of them. You are. Yeah, for sure. And, and see, one of the problems back 50, 60, 70 years ago, everybody had quarter acre section. Yes. Right? Nowadays, um, the house takes most of the section, and of course, it's not quarter of acre, it's probably uh, just one tenth of an acre or yeah. <laughs> one eighth of an acre or something. Yeah. And it's just concrete around and a bit of room at the back for a patio a or something, yeah. barbecue, and that's it. 
So people in that circumstance, they don't have any land to actually grow veggies in. Mm. Other than they can do the sprouts, like using that uh, four-tier mm. sprouter from Egmont Seeds and have that on their kitchen windowsill and do the sprouts. Add the magic botanic liquid into it, yep, of course, I'm into doing the that. water because that will mineralise it more. And then they could have a few pots or um, mm. containers outside where they're growing some uh, spring onions, um, mm. some lettuce, um, just the easy stuff, a bit of silver beets, spinach. Um, and, of course, they could also grow um, those little veggies which are cut off, the whole mix, you buy the packets of them and so mm. forth. In fact, in the supermarket, they sell bags of them, um, salad, veggies. They're only young plants um, which you cut off and put into your salad or whatever you mm. do with them. Mm. So the, those things can be done easily, even with no land. Yes. And then uh, it is funny how we're conditioned, though, because there's an organic shop near where I go. And you walk around the supermarket and it's beautiful. I love supermarkets because there's so much product. Some of them have like 20,000 different products. They have um, amazing stock control. And then you walk through the vegetable produce section and it literally looks like a garden of Eden. There's these beautiful vegetables everywhere you look. There's fruits all year round without a blemish, without a mark, and they're all nicely presented. And then you hop across to the organic market and <laughs> the fear doesn't look as good, does it? No, no, it's natural and there yeah. might be some holes in the leaves. And ble and blemishes and all the rest of it. And you think, oh, that's, I don't like that one. Oh, I don't like that apple. I want a nice shiny apple. And you, so you rush back to the supermarket. But what you're learning and what you're teaching me is that you have to get nutrition and you're almost, you're losing it by having it look good. Yeah. yeah. I've got an old apple tree. There's an old apple tree that no one's touched um, for years and years and years on where, near where I live. And one of the neighbours said, oh, you should go and grab those apples. And he says, they, they taste great. Well, I went up there and, you know, there's some caterpillars and the old tree sitting there, rough as guts. I got one of those apples and ate it. It didn't look great, but it was like being, like you say, a child. we're going to sound like old men talking like on the Muppets. It, <laughs> it was, it, it took me back to being a child. It was a yeah. real apple. It was a real apple with taste. Right. Yeah. We're going to get, what, we have run out of time to talk about real gardening. What should I quickly be doing in my garden this week? What's one thing? Well, if you haven't done so, you could be planting your garlic, shallots. Got, um, that Got sure. them in. Um, I, I built, did I tell you that I built my, you know how you said to build a bench garden with corrugated iron? Uh-huh. I did that. Right. But I added a wee innovation because down the road, a fellow was giving away two shower doors. Okay. And I made them at 45 degrees and put a glass door on. So it's like a mini glass house and off the ground. Filled right. it up just like you said with house manure. And I've planted lettuces in there and away they go. Yeah. Good. So I did that and all that sort of stuff. And I've been like preparing my soil for uh, my potatoes and my yams next, I thought I would do. Right. So getting my soil into good condition. Yep, no, most important. Um, see, if because you've got a um, tunnel house now, you could be looking at germinating early tomato seeds. Yes. Uh, but you really need a heat pad to okay. germinate. So uh, once again, I think Edmont seeds or garden seeds and so forth, all you need is a, a pad which... Um, will 
generate heat underneath. So you soot your punnet on that. Now, here's an interesting thing I'm going to do an experiment shortly with, and you might like to try this too. You know, you go to the Bunnings or wherever and you buy um, a six-pack of cabbages, yep. right? And they're in a cell pack, so they're individual, dum, 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 and you plant them out, you wet them down and take them out of the what's staying carefully, and you plant them, right? Now, there's six in a pack. What I'm going to do with three of them is I'm going to get the scissors and I'm going to cut the bottom part, the roots off, and the dirt straight through the whole lot. So I'm going to cut the roots. Halfway down, zap. So the roots are going to be cut, which in my mind, they're going to then generate a lot of new roots because they've been cut. The other three, of course, I'll sit plant alongside, and they'll, just as they came out of the cell pack, and then see what the difference is. And what do you think will be the difference? A remarkable difference in growth. Because for the cut ones. Yeah, the cut ones will just ramp ahead. How interesting. Yeah, because when you cut a root of a plant, it creates new roots, right? Mm. When you cut the end of a branch, it creates a lot more new branches. Yes. As above, so below. Mm. As above, so below. That's our mantra. Now, tell me this, Wally. Um, could we be, I don't have power out where my tunnel house is, so I can't do a hot, hot bed. I've got some tomatoes there sprouted, and they're up like half an inch, an inch. Oh, good. And But I could do an experiment where I could plant some tomatoes inside, could I? Mm -hmm. And then transplant them out when it warms up. Right. Yes, you could. The only problem inside, you, you don't like... have overhead light. Yes. And they will stretch to the window. Okay. Right? So that, that is your biggest barrier. Okay. Well, I'll see how my ones go in my tunnel house because <laughs> I don't have a um, – I have a thermometer in there, and it goes down. It get, it occasionally gets to zero. It's about four degrees warmer in my tunnel house than outside, but it doesn't get the cold wind. And then I don't know. My thermometer only tells me the maximum minimum. It doesn't tell me how long it was cold, but what it gets is very warm in the day, and right. everything's looking quite healthy at this stage. They may all bolt, of course. Okay. That's, that's a gardening term, Wally. Well, here's a tip. Yeah. If you've got a lawn, right? And you yep. mow lawn. You connect yep. the lawn clippings yep. and then you make a trench about a foot deep or so. Yeah. And about a foot wide. Yeah. And you put your lawn clippings into the trench and pack it down and as much as you can do. And then you cover it over with uh, two or three inches of soil, right? Yep. Then you plant your seed or whatever in that the heat from down below uh, really boosts your plants up above. Got it. Because it, it, you've heated the soil. Got the it. air temperature is not so important. Plants love warm soil. Well, I've done that because I've yep. got them in I've got them in compost. I've got them with um the bought bunnings compost, a couple of inches thick, and below that's horse manure, which is nice and warm, 20 degrees. Right, yeah. So go. that Wally, how does someone get a hold of you? Okay, they can phone me on 0800 466 464. That's 0800 466 464. They can email me um, at Wally J. Uh, yeah, that's a complicated one. It's Wally J. R. at nz with only one N in Garden News. Or, as I have found, when I put Wally Richards into my Google, and it I don't know if this is my Google, the first half a dozen pages come up with me. And they do, because I had to quickly Google you to get your phone number a minute ago because I didn't have my phone handy, and up you pop. And I love it because you got this web page that was done in 1996. You're way ahead of your time because 1996 in internet time is – sort of the Garden of Eden. It's amazing that you had a web page set up. 
I got to tell you, and I got to say that you sent it to me, haven't invoiced me. So I'm sort of, I feel as though um, I got to mention that because I, I I love it that you sent it to me and it's very kind, but I got it. I ordered it and you haven't billed me, but it wasn't that expensive. That magic botanic liquid, I'm going to be using that because right. it works. And I was somewhat skeptical. Brilliant. So, uh, and if anyone has any problems, give Wally a ring. Uh, he loves talking. He knows gardening backwards. And we will have you back on again shortly, Wally, to give us an update. And soon, life in the garden is going to get busy, isn't it? Yeah. It, 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 fruit trees are coming in. Roses are coming in. Um, so it's a busy time of the year. Shall we do fruit trees and roses next week? And yeah. um, and anyone with any questions, send them to them, and we'll do your questions. I got it down: roses and fruit trees, because I want to learn about when I how I should do my fruit trees next. I got to right. ha I haven't got any other than that old apple tree. I want to plant some new fruit trees. I love plums. I love nectarines. I'm in Otago. They must be able to. I must be able to figure out how to make them work. Thank you, Wally Richards. It's always a pleasure. I love reminiscing about those old days and those funny stories. I love to think that my uncle was actually did do that. And I didn't just have a nightmare and dream that that's <laughs> what was happening. I um, think we have to be very thoughtful about our nutrition. And I'm not the best example of it on earth, but we can all do better. And you don't have to change much to make a big difference, it would seem. And this is an important conversation because in a funny way, we have become slaves to big corporate interests who don't have our health or our prosperity or our wellness front and center of their thinking. And we can do better than that, I think. And we've got Wally Richards sharing with us a lifetime of experience and anecdote. You're on Real Talk with Reality Check Radio, it's Rodney Hyde. Thank you, Wally. Thanks for having you along. We'll talk soon. Pleasure. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.